Welcome to the Art of the Christian Ninjas Sermon Podcast, dedicated to helping you find the tools and inspiration you need to pursue a deeper, consistent, and more meaningful relationship with God. Pastor Al Deschano speaks at Beckwith Baptist Church in Carleton Place, Ontario, Canada. And if you have any questions or comments about what you hear today, want to learn more, or just see what Pastor Al is up to, you can find him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on the webpage artofthechristianninja.com. And now, here's Pastor Al with this week's message. Please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 10. And let's read it together. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we which ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Just pause there for a second. I know I just started, but I I need you to notice something here. Things were not going well for Paul or for his missionary team or for the apostles or the churches that they had been planting. Normally, at the beginning of Paul's letters, he's a lot more upbeat. Paul starts with a a cheerful greeting, a thanksgiving to God, a, a pronouncing a blessing on the people he's writing to. But here he just sort of jumps right into serious stuff. Now, if you remember a while back with our series in Corinthians, Uh, you'll remember that Corinth was a rough place to be a Christian. It was full of temptations and pagan thinking. And as soon as Paul left town to go plant another church somewhere else, the Corinthian church just fell apart in a big way. Uh, That's where you get 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was written to the same church, but things had gotten even worse. Now, there were... Not only false teachers taking over the church and teaching unchristian practices and unchristian teachings, but those who were staying faithful were starting to endure all kinds of hardship. Nero had recently become emperor of Rome, and if you know anything about history, you'll know that Nero hated Christians. So persecution of believers was starting to ramp up throughout the whole world. So not only were there spiritual and personal problems within the church, and but now you have Christians losing their jobs, getting kicked out of the guilds, having their ability to buy things or sell things taken away so they can't make money and they can't buy food. Their lives are in danger as they are being reported for false crimes. They're 
Refusal to call Nero a god and bow down to him as lord meant they were in danger of being tried and executed as enemies of the state. It was not a good time to be a Christian or a missionary. So when Paul opens up his letter here, he jumps right in to what the Christians in Corinth needed to hear most. In light of all this danger and difficulty and frustration, he begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Those are amazing words from a man who is afflicted. He's suffering. He's utterly burdened beyond his strength so that he despairs for life itself. And he's writing to people who are potentially suffering the same problems. It is astonishing that we would read the words like this from a man who thought he might die at any moment for the sake of the gospel, writing to people who might die at any moment because they believed. Over and over and over these days, I keep hearing the words, that we are living in unprecedented times. We, we need unprecedented measures. Now, I googled that phrase, unprecedented times, and I told Google to only show me the results for the, first, for, the, for the last month. I got 15 million results. But these are not unprecedented times. Even if we just go back 500 years, you'll see Martin Luther and the doctors, and the politicians, and the churches, all in his era facing the bubonic plague. Later, in 1665, we see the Great Plague of London. Then a couple hundred years later, the fall of, in the fall of 1854, you see Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time. He's facing this massive cholera outbreak. And all these are just as impactful as what we're facing right now. And what's interesting, but not really that surprising if you think about it, is that when you read what these pastors and doctors and politicians were saying then, it's the same thing as you read in the news today. Wash your hands. Don't get together in big crowds. Make sure you say your prayers. There is nothing new under the sun. People who face these times whether it was Roman persecution or whether it was some pandemic that was coming, were just as confused, just as worried as we are, and they were turning to the church and they were turning to politicians and they were turning to doctors to try to help, and they were getting the same advice we're getting today. That's why it bugs me when people say these are unprecedented times. Because they're not. Disease and sickness and death have always been a part of life. Suffering is the usual course of mankind. People being selfish and hoarding resources is nothing new. Watching politicians and rich people use the crisis to try to gain power, influence, and money, that's nothing new. Worrying over our families and our neighborhoods because of all this unforeseen trouble, that's nothing new. And seeing people rise to the occasion and spread hope and joy and help to their fellow man, that's also nothing new. But 
Somehow, it always seems to come as a surprise, doesn't it? Whether we get sick or someone we love dies or we get robbed or people try to capitalize on suffering or the government messes up, we somehow always react like it's completely unexpected and it never happened to anyone else, like ever. It seems to be the human nature to be this myopic, self-focused person who's so caught up in our own life and our own moment that we think the whole universe not only revolves around us, but that we are so special that history began when we were born and that no one else's experience could ever compare to our own. But that is not true. History went on way before us. And so with that in mind, taking the historical blinders off, remembering that we're not alone, this has happened before, opening up our vision beyond ourselves, realizing that we have faced what other people have faced many times in the past, the better question we should ask ourselves is not, you know, what unprecedented thing should we do, but how did they get through it? How did they react to it? What foundation did they stand on? Which brings us back to our Scripture today. Look back at verse 9. Look back at verse 9. It begins, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, what did Paul do when he was faced with suffering and pain and sickness and persecution and the threat of imminent death, imprisonment, and then death? How does a person get through that? What words of hope do you speak to yourself? Did he speak to himself? And what words of hope did he give to the people he loved, the people he served, his churches? What, what did he say? Well, read. He says, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You see, Christian theology, our beliefs, is not separated from our life experiences. The, the miracle of resurrection at Easter is not merely an historical event we fondly remember at this time of year. It is that truth affects our daily lives. Christians exist moment to moment in the light of the resurrection. And the further we get from that light, the less time we spend talking to God about it, meditating on it, reading about it, the more hopeless we become. Now, I've talked many times about how important it is that we take what we know about the gospel and we take it from our heads and we put it into our hearts and into our hands. How critical it is that we don't just say we believe, but we actually live like we believe, that we, oh, the things we think actually affect how we live, how we hope, how we love, that the death of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his glorious ascension, become the air that we breathe. That's what feeds everything we do, which is why Paul could look at the deadly peril he was facing and say, there is good to be found in this because it makes us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
And he knows the more we rely on God, the better off we'll be. Paul said it this way in his letter to the Corinthians. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Or in Romans, he said this. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now those words were not written by a wealthy megachurch pastor sitting in a clean office with an ensuite bathroom surrounded by a bunch of middle-class church folks. Those words were written by a suffering servant of Jesus who said his life felt like he was being killed all day long. Now, where does that strength come from? Where can you find that kind of hope? How do you take another step, plant another church, face another shipwreck, do another day of traveling hungry when the church around you are under attack, you're constantly on the, on the run from being stoned or lashed or imprisoned? Emperor Nero, the cruelest emperor in history, in Roman history, was, was only a few years away from burning Christians as human torches to light his dinner parties. Where do you get strength to go on? Or for us today... How can you watch the news, read your Facebook feed, live in the world today with COVID-19 pandemic taking over our lives where we're losing more and more freedoms, we're told to be more and more afraid, we're isolating ourselves? How do you face that? If your hope is in science or politicians or policies or doctors, they're going to fail you. Their best attempts and intentions are still affected by human corruption, and they have yet to find a way to save the world from pain or disease or fear or war or death. And they definitely have not shown themselves to have the power to raise the dead. Your hope has to be in the risen Lord Jesus. You have to rely, as our Scripture says today, not on yourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What greater power is there to rely on? He's the only one who can de deliver you from deadly peril, whether it's by preserving you from becoming ill in the first place or by sending a miracle to make you well when you're sick or by delivering you to heaven after you die. That's what 
is captured in this confident phrase in verse 10, he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. It's in the knowledge and the hope of the resurrection that he finds his comfort. And that's where we will find our comfort. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything. It's the cornerstone. It's the foundation. It's, it's the center of everything Christians believe. All of our theology, all of our ministries, all our morality, all our good works, all our preaching and teaching, all of our values, the entire worldview we have rests on the historical fact that Jesus really did die on a cross, he really was buried in a tomb for three days, and then he really did rise from death to life, and that he's still alive today. It's the single most important belief in Christianity. And it's constantly under attack by unbelievers, and sometimes even overlooked or ignored by people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Now, they're fine with Jesus being a good moral teacher, but they stumble over the resurrection. And when they do, they miss the entirety of the gospel. Now, the Corinthian church, they had this problem too, and Paul addressed it in 1 Corinthians 15. Open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. And let's read it together. It says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ is raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, I don't intend to go into a bunch of evidences for the resurrection now because that's not really the point of today's message, but I do encourage you to read the book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, or watch the movie, The Case for Christ. It is a great movie about the evidences. What I'm doing today is I'm talking to believers, I'm talking to Christians who claim to follow Jesus but are being plagued by fear and worry about what's happening in the world around them to the people they love and within their own hearts. My message to you today is that when there's so much uncertainty in the air, so much misinformation and confusion, so many people grasping at temporary salvation through extreme measures, putting their hopes in human effort, that you will remember that everything you're going through is an opportunity to rely on God. To remember, you cannot rely on yourself or anyone else to save you from death 
or bring you joy or give you hope that's going to get you through this time. You have to connect to God, the God who raises the dead, the Holy Spirit He sent to live inside of you, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ who promised to deliver you. That's where you have to rely. So are you talking to Him every day? Are you living in the light of the resurrection as a reality and in the presence of the risen Lord? I want to close with this. I want you to notice something here. Let me close with this. I want you to notice that there are three sources of comfort mentioned in our passage today that we should be availing ourselves of every single day. Look back at 2 Corinthians verse 1 3, right where we started. Of course, the primary comfort is one I've been talking about, the, the comfort from knowing our future is secure because of the risen Lord Jesus. But there are two more. First, the first comfort mentioned is the comfort from God the Father. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, called Father twice, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So every day, every moment, that's what it says, your heavenly Father is willing to grant you peace and joy and love and hope in the middle of your trials. So, are you coming to Him? In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, as you read what you see, what you think, are you bringing it to the throne of grace and saying, I need your comfort, I need your help, I need you to, to, to tell me what's truth? Are you reading his word and talking to him in prayer and singing songs of praise and sitting and meditating on his truths? Because that's how you get your very leaky cup that's inside of you filled up. You have to connect to the Father. The second comfort is each other. It says, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we who are receiving the comfort from God are given that comfort not just for ourselves, but so we can pass it on to others. When we feel lonely or afraid or weak or sick, and then God comes and meets us in our affliction, and he makes us strong because God is strengthening us, it's our responsibility to use that strength to make purposeful contact with those who are weak. God meets us in our loneliness so we can share that grace with someone who's lonely. God gives us hope and joy to combat fear. And then we go to those who are afraid, those who are joyless, and we tell them. God strengthens us. He gives our feeble hands strength when they're weak so that we can serve others who need it. He doesn't just meet our affliction for our sake, but so that we will meet others with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So, are you being a source of joy and hope for your immediate family? Your spouse, your kids, those who you are family. Are you for the people in your church? Even those who are not in your usual circle. It's easy enough to call the same four people all the time, but what about everybody else? The whole directory. Are you talking to God every day, feeling his presence, and then using that strength, that presence from God to make 
the phone calls, to send the text, to send the emails, to spread that hope and joy to others. And I would add this. Those who need the comfort, are you, are you making yourself available to them? Are you picking up the phone when they call? Are you responding to the text when they text? Are you connecting to the people wherever you can so they can point you to Jesus, so they can bring you hope, so they can bring you joy, so they can be a balm to your soul? Or are you blocking yourself off, keeping yourself isolated, and allowing yourself to be hammered by Satan because you're alone? You have to accept that comfort as well. That's how we're going to get through this time. By meditating on the resurrected Lord Jesus and the hope that brings us, by using that meditation to connect ourselves to God the Father through the Holy Spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, and by taking that strength that we receive from him and then spreading it to the people around us who need it. Thanks for listening to today's Art of the Christian Ninja Sermon Podcast. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, head over to artofthechristianninja.com and check the Contact Me button to send an email to Pastor Al. While you're there, hit the Subscribe by Email button, use the search bar to discover lots of other topics, and even download all of Pastor Al's books for free. May the Lord be with you.